This has been an extraordinary year filled with too many stresses to count. It's important to your health and to those around you to check in with yourself and others to make sure everyone is okay. This holiday season can be especially stressful, but remember that you don't have to go through any of this alone. There are folks who support you and want to see you okay so that we all come out on the other side of this together. Don't forget that, and don't be afraid to speak up if you need a hand. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this week on the program, it's Mitch Steele. He's the brewmaster of New Realm Brewing in Georgia and Virginia, and we're talking beer styles, food pairings, and beer philosophy. Joining me on the line right now is Justin Clark of Cigar City Brewing, which is this episode's sponsor, and we're thankful for that. Justin, let's talk about Fancy Papers IPA. Uh, It's a relatively new beer or wider distributed beer uh, for the brewery. What are the origins of it? Yeah, so we were having a lot of fun doing hazy IPAs, you know, taproom exclusive, just real, real small batches at our taproom. And we wanted to be able to provide something out to our distribution footprint at large. So after experimenting and trials, we, we, we were able to come up with something that we feel will be very consistent, high quality and, and shelf stable, which, you know, sometimes isn't found in the hazy beer category. And so Fancy Papers uh, was originally scheduled to just be a seasonal release for us, but we're very fortunate to have such great reception from our retail partners, um, and the demand was there that we've actually made this a year-round beer now for us. The brewery is obviously known for Highlight IPA, which helped put the brewery on the map. For those who haven't had the chance to try Fancy Papers yet, what can beer drinkers, beer lovers expect from the flavor and the aroma of this hazy IPA? Certainly. Yeah, we definitely wanted to make sure that this beer stands on its own and is going, you know, a little bit of a different direction than Highlight IPA. You'll definitely notice, you know, more, more melon, some lime leaf, there'll be some pineapple qualities uh, in fancy papers and, and certainly true to the hazy beer category. There'll be some, there'll definitely be less bitterness and a little bit lower body than you might find in our Highlight IPA. Awesome. Well, we're going to have more with you, Justin, at the end of the show, but for now, I'm going to invite everybody to go and check out CigarCityBrewing.com to learn more about Fancy Papers as well as all of the brewery's other beers. Mitch Steele is a brewmaster that everyone looks up to. He's had a storied career in beer, worked at prominent breweries, developed some of the beers we still know and drink today, and these days, he's the brewmaster at New Realm Brewing, a company he helped found and that operates breweries in Georgia and Virginia. He's a teacher that many in the brewing industry turn to to, for advice and for inspiration. But Mitch, he's earned his place in the first name club of brewers, is still very much a student. He's curious, he's a relentless tinkerer, and he's always on the hunt for new flavors, new ideas, and ways to make his beers the very best that they can be. There's a lot to learn from him, and he always seems happy to share. Because I know there's so many breweries who start in the industry today who immediately begin harboring thoughts of opening their own place, I wondered that when he started his career, if he had similar thoughts. Mitch spoke to me from the brewery in Atlanta. Here's our conversation. When when you started your your brewing career, you you worked for established breweries, um, places that that had been around before you and maybe had a a, a bit of a... um, a, a reputation. And, and I'm curious when you were approached with the idea of New Realm, what went through your mind as far as 
venturing into the unknown. Was there any of that? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, my, my first real brewing job was, was at a brew pub and a startup brew pub in Hollister. And I worked there and, you know, we were so small, I was only part time there, but, um, uh, you know, when I went through that, it, I wanted to, you know, at some point I wanted to really learn about brewing and brewing science and managing a brewery and doing all that. And that's, that's when I left San Andreas. Um, but when New Realm approached me after I had been with, you know, the Anheuser-Busch and Stone for so long, um, I, you know, the one thing that really kept popping into my head is that I've never had the opportunity to really build something from scratch, from ground zero. And, you know, and that included, you know, the branding, the beers, the, the kind of overall philosophy of the brewery, um, you know, those kind of things. And I never really had a... And, and, and that was the thing that kept coming up was like, this might be my only chance to really do this in a, and it seemed, um, you know, not like a big risk because I knew what our investment team looked like. And, yeah. you know, so, and then the other part of this was, was going to Atlanta and, and going to a place where craft beer hadn't developed as far as it has in San Diego or Denver or wherever, you know, the, it, it wasn't, it, although there was a good beer scene here, it wasn't that well established. And it, it was kind of fun to think about getting in when it was starting to take off like it has. When, when you talk about, though, being at Stone, being at, at AB, um, and, and not having a, a hand in everything uh, like you do now, was that an itch that had been developing professionally for you for a while that you wanted to scratch? Or when this when these conversations with new realm started, did they start to creep up for the first time? Yeah, it's more the latter. I, you know, I wasn't looking to leave stone and I wasn't looking to do anything else. I was having a good time of my life there, but, um, you know, when, when Carrie and Bob and Carrie's our CEO and Bob's our, our, uh, chief marketing and sales officer, when they approached me about this, I, I hemmed and hawed for a long time. It wasn't like it was an easy decision because I, I really did enjoy my time at Stone. But, um, you know, that's that's when it really started becoming real to me that this might be a chance to start something um, and and really build something. And and so that's that wasn't something that, that had been in my head for a long time. That's something that kind of popped up after we had the first conversation. I, I find that so interesting because I talked to – new brewers, young brewers, folks who have been in the business for you know, five minutes or so, and if they're an assistant somewhere or you know, whatever, uh, a lot of them are sort of harboring dreams of ambition of opening up their own place at some point. Um, and, and I guess I, I'm wondering if that's just the way that craft beer has grown in the U.S., that it is possible for anybody to open up their own place you know, now versus when you got into it. And that's not me calling you an old man. Uh, it, it, it's more <laughs> just, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if it's like a situational generational thing. Um, I, maybe to an, a certain extent, I, I do think that there are a lot of brewers, um, that would relish the idea of having 100% creative control over what they're brewing. Um, and I think that's really where it stands into it. I think, you know, the, I think the good thing for me or the thing that really impacted me was that I've worked for 
two very established companies. And I know how hard they had to work to really get started and all the stuff you have to deal with that nobody thinks about, you know, when you're running a brewery, um, all that background bureaucratic legal stuff that you got to deal with. And I don't think, you know, somebody who's, who's brewing, um, you know, as an assistant brewer or, or a head brewer or something like that, who's taken a lot of direction may not have an appreciation for all the, all the garbage that goes along with running a brewery. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I knew that that was probably my biggest fear going into here is just having to deal with that on a more, you know, in-person level than I had to do at stone at stone. I, I, I ran the brewing department, you know, and I, I, I reported to an owner and um, you know, it was, I had so much creative freedom and, and control that it was just a wonderful experience for me. But, you know, when you, when you take on kind of a, a founding of a new brewery, you got to take on a lot more than, than just making great beer and running a production operation. You got to start thinking about the building and, and the rent and, you know, all that, all that stuff that just drives me crazy. <laughs> I mean, you say crazy though. Are, are there things that you've encountered in your time now at New Realm from the announcement to the build out to, to opening into now that you found yourself joyful about that you found yourself excited about uh, that you didn't think that you might be at some point or that took you by surprise. You know, um, just simple things like naming the brewery and naming the beers was fun. I, you know, we, we really struggled to name this brewery and, it was a, it, you know, looking back on it, I, I know we were frustrated at the time because we, we had some self-imposed rules. Number one, everybody, all three of us had veto power. So if one of us didn't like a name, it was out. It just was removed from consideration. And the other other rule that we, we put on ourselves was if somebody else had used the name, whether it was for a beer or a brewery, we weren't going to explore it. And so we, I, you know, I have a stack of paper about half an inch thick of all these brewery names that we were trying to come up with. Um, and it, it was really hard, but, you know, looking back on it, it was a very creative process and, and that part of it was really fun. And, you know, dealing with the, how are we going to, you know, dealing with a marketing company and trying to figure out how we're going to present ourselves, you know, to the public and, and what we want to try and do, um, was a lot of fun for me. I, you know, I think it's, uh, it can be very frustrating as a brewer when you have preconceived notions of what things should be, but the creative process was really fun. And then designing a restaurant, I've never done that before, but, um, <laughs> that was, that was a fascinating process, you know, sitting with architects and construction managers and, and going through that whole bit and trying to figure out the best way to have, have flow through the restaurant and, you know, I think, you know, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is initially we put the restrooms right by the door to the kitchen. And, <laughs> Isn't and, there an old adage about that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's just a, a learning experience, you know, and you're like, OK, that OK, that's a bad idea. And, and several people <laughs> told us it was a bad idea. And it's like, OK, and you listen to these people that have done it before and have experience and you're like, OK, I'm learning something. <laughs> when you were thinking about the restaurant though and you're thinking about recipe development how much did you want the two to go hand in hand uh you mean as far as the food recipes yeah the food recipes but also the beer like, yeah, did you want synergy um, or 
Yeah, we we did. Um, you know, we we had a chef who was uh, we hired pretty early on who had some dishes that he was really fond of, and and we looked at those in the context of our beers. And it, you know, I think the beer came first. You know, so we we knew we were going to have an IPA. We knew we were going to have um, a lager of some sort, which turned out to be a pilsner. Um, and we had some other, you know, kind of more more classic styles because I mistakenly thought that they might do really well in Atlanta because Atlanta wasn't IPA country like San Diego was. Like what? Um, what's a good example of that? Uh, of the beer? Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a pale ale that was phenomenal. Um, we had a golden ale that was really nice. Um, you know, but, I, you know, the in the year and a half to two years that we spent designing and building this facility a lot changed in the brewing world and, and, you know, and we had to kind of rethink things after we got started. Um, the one thing that, that came across uh, very loud and clear from our first customers that came into the restaurant was that our beers were on the bitter side and a lot of people didn't want that. Um, As somebody coming from San Diego though, was that just daggers to the heart? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean that's brewed, that's I, almost I, like I, one of the worst was... things you could say to a, a, a dyed-in-the-wool San Diego brewer is, <laughs> "Oh, your pale ale is too bitter." Yeah, that's it, just it, mean. It's, uh... Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> You're getting fresh IPA for the first time in your life, you know, San Diego style IPA. Why aren't you just falling all over it? You know, but hey, you know, it is what it is, and. Uh... You know, and we responded to that. And, you know, I think the one thing that's really, really cool was developing, uh, you know, just a, a way to listen to what our our customers, our guests are telling us about the beers. And, and several things have come out of that. You know, it's like we always have a dark beer on tap because there's always somebody that wants one. Um, you know, we got into spirits because we had a lot of people coming to our place that weren't beer drinkers, but they wanted the meal and they wanted to hang out with their friends. So, you know, it's 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 modeled. You know, our approach has has evolved. You know, as we've learned. You know, but yeah. It, getting back to your original question, though, we had you know we had this nice lineup of beers, and then uh, I tasted them with our chef at the time, Julio, and he created a, a couple of specific dishes to go with the beers. Um, but really, we just wanted to make sure that we had a beer that went with each dish, you know, that, that there was something that people would really enjoy drinking along with the food and that, and, you know, so, and I think we had a pretty good cross section of beers when we started. So it wasn't, wasn't an issue or wasn't anything we had to put a whole lot of effort into. Will that pale ale ever make a comeback? Do you think? Um, I don't see it. I, <laughs> I would love to brew it again. It was really good. We were, you know, our head brewer here in Atlanta, Tyler, has uh, spent a few years at Sierra Nevada, and Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is like one of those, you know, um, uh, seminal beers for me. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, just to be able to brew something kind of like that, you know, that was inspired by Sierra Nevada Pale Ale was a, was a real treat for me. And, um, you know, and we didn't try to copy the recipe, but we tried to make a beer that definitely showed the inspiration and um you know it did well for a while but nobody's drinking pale ales right now you know it's it's just one of those things unless it's a hazy pale ale. yeah um <laughs> so you've had the benefit now of seeing 
I guess the, the, the last nine or 10 months under COVID and what's moving and what's not. And ha- have you seen consumer shifts in what's selling and what's there, what there's demand for versus maybe what was selling and what there was demand for pre-pandemic? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a huge shift um, in, in a lot of different levels. I think, um, you know, the shift from being 50% draft to being 85% cans was something that we, we struggled with, but we were able to make it work. Um, but what we're seeing from, from buying habits is that uh, a lot of people seem to be gravitating towards beers that they're comfortable with and in larger quantities. So like 12 packs or 15 packs seem to be really moving uh, beers that are, you, you know, beers that are a risk or, uh, you know, maybe something you've never had before and you're not sure you're going to like it. I, I think there are beer buyers that would stay away from those uh, in the current situation, whereas, you know, a year ago they may have gone out of their way to find it and try it. Um, but, you know, people are taking less risks with their beers. And I think we've seen with some of our, our core brands, um, we've seen them tail off a little bit. And then other are ones. You, are you being evacuated? No, sorry. No, that's, that's... A, that's a brew house alarm. <laughs> so it's, it's just one of your IPAs was too bitter, so the alarm starts going off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was hoping you couldn't hear that. <laughs> no, it's all good. It, it, for for audience reference, before we started, Mitch and I were talking about you know like interruptions and emails and uh, doing all sorts of uh, uh, hearing background noises while recording during a pandemic and from home and offices and etc. So uh, that was super fitting actually that, uh, <laughs> that that was going through it's it's almost as if you planned it from our pre-conversation but yeah right now I, i'll just have them go start up the mill now That'll be really <laughs> good and my neighbor's gonna start mowing his lawn in the middle of december so that's just <laughs> perfect yeah awesome. um but I, I interrupted you sorry um yeah i you know so i mean we're seeing we're seeing beer buyers take fewer risks uh one of the things that's really done well for us is a mixed 12 pack uh, that we we launched last winter, right right when this all started. And we've been doing a new one every three months and we have two of our best selling beers in it every time. And then we have uh, kind of a seasonal beer and then, you know, what we call a treasure hunt beer, a beer that, you know, we've never put into a can before. And, you know, so when you're buying a 12 pack, you're getting 12 beers and if three of them are something you've never tried before, it's a little bit less of a risk. And I think people have responded to that. It's been, it's been pretty, pretty neat to see how well these have done. The, the variety pack is such an interesting thing because it, for, for a long time, a lot of the larger brewers were doing it and, and some of them still are. Um, and smaller brewers tried for a while and then it sort of went by the wayside, I think is, is, consumer preferences changed where people were, were just happy to buy you know, a four pack or a six pack of, you know, whatever was sort of new and flashy. Um, but it, the allure of a variety pack, I think is still there for a lot of folks, even if they haven't you know thought about them for a while. And I, I'm trying to think of the right way to frame this question just simply because 
there's not a ton of breweries that I know where if I saw a variety pack that was like, hey, here's something that we haven't canned before that I would have the trust to, you know, plunk down 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever a variety pack's going for these days um, because there is an unknown. And, and I don't necessarily feel that way with your beers um, because of your reputation. And, well, thank well, I, I, I guess so. I guess the, the, the sort of question is like the trust that you establish between the brewery and the consumer through quality. How often are you reinforcing that with your team? Oh, it's I, you know, we try to make it just kind of an overriding principle with everything that we do. I, you know, we we have, you know, for a brewery our size, I think our quality program is is really strong. Um, you know, we we were able to invest in some some good equipment so that we're not just using calculations to figure out where our beer numbers are. We're actually measuring things. Um, we're in the process of implementing a um, a very robust sensory analysis program. Um, and that's something that we wanted to do for a long time, but we finally had the, the staffing and the resources to really put it together. So that's been a big project this year. And, can, can you and talk I, about that just for folks who don't know what goes into like a sensory analysis program? Can, can you just sort of give like a, like a quick overview? For sure. Yeah. So sensory analysis is, is, is tasting the beer and it involves not only tasting beer, but tasting water. Um, that you use for brewing to make sure that it's clean. It's tasting uh, the beers throughout the fermentation to make sure that off flavors aren't forming. Uh, it's tasting the beer and approving the beer before you put it into a package and making sure you have a process, a checkoff, that the beer actually tastes like what it's supposed to. Um, and then we have, um, we taste beer every day in the brewery. Um, and, you know, it, it, we're doing some, some process checks through sensory analysis. So like uh, there's a, there's a test called uh, a diacetyl force test and you, you heat up a sample of the beer and if it forms any butter flavor, then you, you don't chill the beer down. You let it sit on the yeast for a little while, you know, those kind of things. And, yeah. and what we're implementing now is getting more people than the brewers involved in tasting our beers. And we're going through a, a process where eventually we'll have, monthly panels that are very cross-functional where people taste our beers and, and rank the different attributes of the beer, you know, whether the hop is lemony or whether it's more peach or apricot or whether the bitterness is higher or lower or that kind of thing. And, you know, these things take a while to get established. And, and But once you start building up data, it can be a really valuable tool uh, to make sure you're understanding that, you know, whether your beer is shifting a little bit, which as a day-to-day -day brewer, you may not pick up on, but, uh, you know, trained tasters might. Yeah. And, and so it's it's a huge time investment, and it's really an important part. And I, I tell our brewing team all the time, I said, tasting is the most important part of the day. And I, I do believe that, you know, you've got to taste your beer, and you've got to taste it all along the brewing and fermenting process. But you also have to be honest with yourself while you're tasting it. I, 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 I've always been stunned when I've gone to breweries and I've been served a beer and I've gone on, you know, on and on about this on, on this show and others before. But like, you know, somebody serving a beer with diacetyl in it and knowing that there's diacetyl in it and not being ashamed of that. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, there, there's got to be like a thing of, you know, as, as a brewer being honest with yourself as well, which can, I imagine, be difficult at times because it's 
something that you created, something that you care about. Yeah, you know, it's it's a matter of degree, and it, it depends on what we're talking about. I mean, to me, if I if we miss on on bitterness or color, that's not the biggest deal breaker in the world. But an off flavor like diacetyl, we would be we would not be serving the beer. And we've you know that's something that that our whole team knows, and our bartenders know it as well. You know, the people that are serving our beers, if if they taste something weird in the beer, they know to give me a call, and I'll run out there and taste it. And make sure that it's okay or not. But you know, from the from the brewer's perspective, you know, I think from my my point of view, um, you know, the the subjectivity comes in when it's a stylistic question, you know, and that's I think that's where brewers sometimes will get a little defensive. Are are you a style purist? No, I'm not. Um, uh, it depends on the beer. I mean, I think there's room for, for doing that. And I certainly believe in the value of brewing to style, but I also believe that, you know, that the only way breweries are going to be successful is they innovate. And, and sometimes innovation requires veering off of style guidelines. And so I think there's, you know, the, the way I've approached brewing is there's elements of both, you know, there are times when we want to brew something strictly to style, like, you know, our German lagers are, are beers that would fall into that category. We want to brew a beer that somebody would be familiar with who has had a, a Dunkel in Germany or a, a Helles in Germany. Um, you know, but when we're brewing IPAs, you know, if we go outside of the, the parameters of bitterness or color or something like that, we tend not to not to lose any sleep over that. That makes sense. Because um, you've been I, I, I've had some of the beers that 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 you've made, um, this year. And, you know, one that sort of stopped me dead in my tracks. Uh, and I talk about this at the, in, in, in the intro to this, to this interview, um, was this Belgian quad that you made, um, in rum barrels. Yeah. And I mean, it just, I think I, I think I actually texted you afterwards, um, because I, I, I was just so stunned by, um, the complexity of it, but also the, the novelty of it as well. Um, when you're thinking about recipe formulation, when you're thinking about flavors and ideas and, you know, I, you're, I had it up uh, just a minute ago, but your uh, the philosophy of new realm on the, on the website is, uh, rethink tradition, bend the rules, reconfigure boundaries. Um, when you're thinking about creating a new recipe that fits into those three things, where do you start? Well, you know, every beer has a different story, you know, and, um, I, you know, with regards to the, the quadruple, um, that whole idea came about because I had an opportunity to buy some rum barrels and I'd never aged beer in rum barrels before. And so I went ahead and bought them. And then I, I reached out to Tyler and Evan and say, what, what kind of beer do you think would go well in here? And I don't remember which one of the three of us came up with the idea of a Belgian quadruple, but, um, you know, once, once that idea came to the table, that was it, you know, and, and it's like, okay, this is, you know, with all that, you know, the dried fruit and all that kind of character you, you get from a, from a good quadruple, we just thought the rum flavors would really pair well majestically with that. And I think, I think that beer worked. I think that was our best barrel aged beer that we released last year. Um, but, you know, in, in general, you know, it, it, 
every beer is different. You know, the motivation for brewing it is different. Um, you know, we have um, a series of double IPAs and, and we've got some parameters that we've been asked to hold to, but we have a lot of free reign with the hopping on those. Um, and, you know, we, we try to put unusual hop pairings together and that kind of thing. Um, Wait, what kind of pairings? Hop. Okay. So, yeah, sorry, just, sorry. I thought there was, there was a P at the beginning of that word, and I was like, oh. Oh, no, no. no. It's like we're, <laughs> we're going down the legalization route. All right, here we go. Yeah, uh, yeah not yet. Um, In a few I, years, that's going to be a big thing. I'm going to be getting endless PR pitches of, you know, what marijuana goes best with your IPA? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's it's an interesting world. I, I you know, and, and we pay attention to all that kind of stuff. I mean, you have to. Um, you know, whether you decide to do it or not, just being aware and being ready to do it if you want to. I, and I think that's been a big part of, of what we've tried to do is, you know, look at look at what's becoming popular and, and get on it quickly. And I think that's probably the biggest thing with innovation that we've tried to do. Um, you know, brewed IPA, right? A good example of a beer style that came and went in the flash. Yeah. But we were the first brewery in Georgia to brew one. I, we put one on the plan as soon as as soon as I learned about them, you know, and and I think that that has some importance, um, you know, doing doing beers, you know, a low carb, low calorie IPA is is something else that we did very early on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things that I think, you know, if, it's very hard to have a successful beer if you're if you're coming in two years late to the party, right? And um, you know it, it happens, but it, it it just makes the people in sales it makes their jobs more difficult, you know. And um, and that's why I'm I'm a big believer in you know if I learn something new or I learn that somebody's doing something that's really innovative, um, you know, I embrace it and and explore it. And I will say, you know, I. I I was skeptical of hazy IPAs and, and their popularity. And, you know, and I was, I, I don't say I was really vocal about it, but I didn't, I didn't hide my feelings about it. And then, you know, as we, we started to brew one and as we monitored that beer through the fermentation and saw what was going on with the, with the hot flavor change during fermentation, it opened my eyes to that that style and how really innovative it it really was and how different it was from anything else that was being brewed, and you know so I have an appreciation for for that kind of stuff, and it it doesn't matter whether I I drink or enjoy the beer or not you know if it's something that's that's innovative and that people will like then I I want to explore it. Are there styles that you won't make? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm not going to make a, a, a locale or locale American lager probably just because that's not in our wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're going to do something locale, we want it to be pretty full flavored. Um, I, I can't think of a beer I wouldn't brew. Now, certainly that wasn't the case you know, in, in my past job at Stone, there were certain beer styles, anything that was kind of a classic low alcohol beer style was off the table right. at Stone. You it know, was, just, was, it was just a non-starter. Like you couldn't even bring that up in a meeting. 
Oh, no. Yeah. You know, Greg was classic. Every time I brought something like that up, he just yawned very loudly. <laughs> like, okay, I got the message. All right, I'll, I'll yeah. move on. <laughs> Sorry, you don't like making money. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but here at New Realm, I think because, you know, we have a, a very diverse group of people coming into our restaurants, we can brew anything that that we think might do okay in the restaurant and, and try it out. And I've enjoyed that, you know, and it's, it's been fun to be able to brew a, a beer like a Munich Dunkel. I, you know, that, yeah. that was the beer that <clears throat> we had no plans on doing anything with. And, and Tyler, it was Tyler's recipe and he brewed a five barrel batch of it on our pilot system. And it, it sold out in like two days and wow, like, okay. wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it just went. And, and so we're like, okay, there, there's something here. And we started brewing 20 barrel batches of it for our restaurants. And it's consistently in the top five of the beer, beer sales in the restaurants. That's now, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And it, it's, it's like, okay, there, there are people that want classic styles coming to our restaurants and that's that's wonderful um, do, do they you know, know that they're classic people. styles are, are, are they do you think people are ordering it because it's like oh i'm familiar with this or because the way that you're describing the beer and then the follow-through on the taste is just appealing to them i think it's more the former uh, actually I, really? and i know i know in virginia beach you know where we opened up that that restaurant and, and tasting room in virginia beach you know that that town is so heavily military that we had a lot of people coming in who had spent time in Germany and drank those beers. And, Makes and sense. we got the feedback that, Hey, you know, this tastes like what I was drinking in Germany. I'm going to keep drinking it. Huh? That's, I mean, that, that's a great compliment. Yeah. It's wonderful to hear something like that. I, I I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled that that beer has done as well as it has for us. And you know, it's probably not going to do much in distribution. We, you know, before COVID hit, we had a couple of accounts that were pouring it full time, um, you know, but we never expected much more than that from it. And certainly it's not a beer that we're going to put out into cans and put on on shelves and beer stores. But, um, you know, for it, it's nice to be able to have that kind of a beer in our restaurant because I like it. And every once in a while, that's the beer I'm going to go to go for. And, um, yeah. you know, my big thing with the restaurants is to make sure that we have a beer for anybody that comes in, you know, whether they're a hardcore craft drinker, whether they're an IPA hophead, uh, whether they like hazies, whether they like dark ales, I, you know, I just want to have a nice mix of beers so that there's chances are there's something that somebody will like who has very, very narrow likes and beer, you know, and, um, I think that's worked for us. Um, and you're doing hard seltzers too. We are, we are. And, you know, that's another good example of something that I was kind of like going, what are, what are we doing here? You know, are we really going to do this? And I started researching how to make them. And I talked with some people who had made them for a long time. And it made me realize there were some real challenges with, with fermenting these, these sugar water liquids. You know, there's no nutrients in there, nothing for the yeast to feed on but the sugar, which is like if you imagine a human being just eating nothing but sugar, that's kind of what the yeast does too. They collapse, you know. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so there were some real tricks to figure it out how to do it. And it's, it's been fun. I'm, I, you know, they've been selling really well in our restaurants. We're, we're going to release them. 
uh, in cans this spring uh, because they've done so well for us. And, you know, it's like one of those things. Am, am I going to be one of those brewers that says, I absolutely will not do that? I, I've never really been that way. I, if I see value in doing something, I will. Um, I And you, you know, can always stop I, if it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. And these, these have worked for us. And they give, you know, in Georgia, when you have a, a production brewery and a restaurant, you are not legally allowed to serve anything made by anybody else. And so we can't serve wine. We can't serve guest beers, anything like that in our, in our restaurant. And the seltzers have given, given us an alternative drink for people that, that don't want beer and it's worked out really well for us. And I certainly see the business side of that, you know, the value of that. Um, and, and seltzers are, you know, they're kind of their own animal. It's just something different. Um, uh, you know, I don't really drink, drink them. Uh, I'm a, yeah. I'm a beer guy, but you know, they, they do well in our restaurants and people are happy we're making them. So yeah, they good. hit the spot sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, they are refreshing. I, I get it, you know, and, um, you know, if you have a good one, um, and there's some really good ones out there, you know, and if you have one on a summer day, it's a pretty, pretty nice drink. More with Mitch in just a minute, but first, my thanks to Cigar City Brewing Company for sponsoring this episode. Check out Fancy Papers IPA. Fresh-cut grass and tangerine on the nose are complemented by a white wine grape and bread-like aromas. Flavors of guava, melon, and lime leaf present themselves harmoniously with Sauvignon Blanc and a bready malt flavor playing supporting roles. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. In thinking about you you got into brewing in in the late 1980s, right? Um, yeah, that's correct. So, in thinking about the last 30 or so years of how the beer industry has evolved and different trends and fits and starts and uh, you know chasing trends and trends being established and you know things coming and going like brewed IPA and you know now everybody thinking about you know hard seltzer or locale or even non-alcoholic uh, beers as well mm -hmm. um, how do you think beer will evolve like where do you think we're headed right now as far as an overall American beer industry is it going to be less focused on beer itself and we're going to see breweries become beverage companies um is is there a return to something else I, I i you're a thoughtful guy so i'm just sort of curious as to where you're thinking things could go yeah that's obviously that's something that, that i think about all the time and and kind of scratching my head on where the beer industry might be going i i honestly don't know i do think we're in a cycle right now where if you if you're a brewery and you're looking at doing things that aren't beer, you may be positioning yourself for better success than somebody than a brewery that just sticks to beer and sticks to their guns. Um, you know, and, and the seltzers are a case in point, you know, and I, you know, that that's, um, you know, I, 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 you're right. I have been in this business for a while and I, you know, I actually started really becoming involved in craft beer uh, back in the early 80s when I first tasted Sierra Nevada and I kind of realized that's what I want to do and even though I wasn't in the business for five years after I graduated college I certainly kept my eye on it and followed it and visited brew pubs all the time there's a couple things that I see that 
are always, I think are always going to be in play. And number one is, is innovation. I mean, this whole industry was built on brewers taking what had come before them and building on those and, and veering off from those and, and that kind of thing, you know, and um, I mean, you know, the whole American IPA that evolved into West Coast IPA and double IPA and, and, and then the, the, the Northeast hazy IPAs, I think that's going to fuel the business continually. I think, you know, people that are creative and come up with new ways of doing things or creating new flavor profiles are, I think that's always going to be there. Um, I think, you know, people will always drink beer, I think, you know, I, <laughs> you hope. I, yeah. I don't think the business is going away, but I think the business is changing right now and it's, it's hard to navigate. It, it really is kind of hard to figure out where things are going. And, you know, we have a, a uh, a beer I really love uh, in our portfolio, a Pilsner, uh, that's won a lot of awards and and does very well in competitions. And people were drinking a lot of it when we first started, and we're seeing people kind of moving away from it. And um, you know, and I think you know the the distributors, you know, we call it Rotation Nation, you know, and and beer drinkers are very fickle. And you know, I'm hoping we we get to the point where that kind of having to have something shiny and new every month kind of settles down a little bit. It, it just makes brewers lives a little bit easier and more stable. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know, you know, I, a lot of beer styles have been talked about, about being the next big thing. And I don't see anything. <laughs> I don't see anything kicking IPA off the, no. off the perch. You no. know, I just don't see it happening anytime, probably not till after I retire, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I know there, there's, there's folks who hope it'll be lager or something along those lines, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you on, 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 on that as well. Um, I, I feel like I asked the wrong question before. So I, I, I wanted to, to sort of come back to, um, when I asked if, if there's anything that you wouldn't make, um, I, I, I feel like the question I probably should have asked was, is there a style that still vexes you that you're trying to perfect because I, I don't think I've ever had a bad beer that you all of the beers that I've had of yours uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed because I know that you're putting a lot of you know, time and effort and knowledge into them but but I'm, I'm wondering that in, in, in your 30 plus years now of brewing is there a style of beer that you feel like you haven't been able to get your hands around yet to make it in a way that that makes you happy yeah, um, it, it's it's the Belgian uh, Abbey or Trappist ales. I think that I just have never been one hundred percent satisfied with with the result. And you know, looking for the yeast that you know isn't too clove focused in in managing the fermentation. I I just don't feel like I've ever just one hundred percent nailed it. You know, and um, I remember talking with another another really well-known brewer a while back a few years ago um about you can drop names you know, on the show if you want well it was it was walt dickinson at, at wicked weed okay you know, before they before all right well they maybe you shouldn't back. have but yeah that's fine yeah that's... <laughs> but I, I mean you know we were we were really good friends for a while and, yeah. and i i was talking with him about belgian beers and we kind of agreed that you know there's this holy grail out there for brewers to to capture that yeast character did you get in an authentic Belgian Abbey ale that is very hard to get with American produced Belgian yeast strains? And 
Um, you know, and it's they're close, but they're not quite there yet. And um, and and I've never felt like we've totally nailed it. You know, I just um, <clears throat> so that's probably my my holy grail, my the beer style that challenges me the most right now. Um, is 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 probably you know brewing a nice Belgian pale ale or a, uh, a double or something like that. I think we've got a pretty good triple. Um, I think we're we're getting there, you know. And and we just released a uh, a triple in in sixteen ounce cans that I'm pretty happy with. But still, <laughs> I want to tweak it, you know. <laughs> You're putting all these beers in cans. Isn't there a shortage happening right now? Yeah, it, it's rough. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on um, with with can supply, but I think that you know I'm on the I'm on the Brewers Association supply chain subcommittee, so mm-hmm. we talk about this all the time, and and the people in the Brewers Association are getting some really great information on on the whys of these kind of situations. But you know, bottom line, everybody every brewer's moving to cans. Um, with COVID, the can demand has gone skyrocketing and you know with the popularity of seltzers which are all in cans and energy drinks that are all in cans there's just not enough manufacturing capacity to supply all the needs in the united states right now um and you know there's a lot of brewers that are starting to look for cans elsewhere you know uh, mexico and and asia and you know it's it's just one of those things where you know even well-established brewers who have been buying direct from the manufacturers for a long time and aren't going through a broker are getting shorted on their contracts. And um, it's, it's a scary situation. uh, And I think it's going to be with us for a while. I, there's, there's a lot of talk about um, ball uh, who's a can manufacturer building new plants in the United States and they are doing it. uh, But the word we're hearing is that most of that capacity will be, um, will be committed to seltzer cans. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we've been telling people don't, don't assume that this is going to go away in a few months. This is going to be an issue for a long time. So is there, is there a concern if people are trying to source cans from non-traditional sources here in the U S like I, I think, yeah. uh, like some of like the manufacturing equipment that was coming in from overseas that wasn't actually stainless, uh, and and brewers having issues with that. Are are there things that you're seeing on the subcommittee that should give people pause or not? Really? Yeah, I, I no, I think I think education and and asking questions is critically important. I, I think as a brewer, especially with the uh, with the you know, the, the trend of brewing, you know, beers that are tartar or have fruit in them or, you know, a lot of yeast in them, the liner of the can, the material that's used to line the can is really the most critical thing to pay attention to. And um, the in, in the United States, uh, most of the can manufacturers have transitioned their can liner material to uh, a material that um, doesn't contain uh, BPA, which um, was a component of can liners for a long time, but California's declared it a carcinogen. So uh, the can manufacturers have been pulling, pulling that material out and it's changed the liner and, and, and the yeah. integrity of the liner in low pH solutions or high, high um, yeast count uh, beers uh, is, is suspect sometimes. 
And so, you know, with the getting cans from another country, um, they're not very transparent about what material they're using as, as liner material. And so, you, you know, as a brewer, you need to ask. Can bottles make a comeback? Yeah, I think so. I, I'd like to see it, even though we don't have a bottling line, really. Um, yeah, we've got a small one that we do the barrel-aged beers on. But, I, I you know, I, I'm an old purist in some ways, and I still think a beer bottle is, is the way to grab a beer, you know? Um, I, I think there's been an increase. I know, well, I know for a fact that some of the larger craft brewers in the country who have uh, both can lines and bottle lines are are – renewing their emphasis on bottles uh, because of the shortages. I was going to say, yeah, it's out of yeah. necessity in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's driven by, you know, the, the supply issues with the cans for sure. But, you know, maybe bottles will make a comeback, which to me is not a bad thing. I think a, a bottle is a great package. If, if you're though, for, for your brewery where people maybe don't know your past or you know, where you've worked, you know, which had embraced bottles uh, and still do in, 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 in a lot of ways, um, if New Realm was to come out with 12-ounce bottles of lager or 12-ounce bottles of IPA, do you think they would sell? Or do you think you'd get a lot of people who just you know, suddenly didn't think you were craft anymore? Well, I, uh, I, so two parts, two-part yeah. question. Um, no, I don't think we'd have a lot of success with them, um, just because everybody in Georgia, is, it, Georgia's 100% cans right now. Um, so I don't think I think we'd struggle to get shelf space if we started coming out with a line of beers and bottles. Um, I don't think it's because people look at bottles as not being craft, but I do think that um, you know the what's happened with cans. I don't think you can you can really uh, swim upstream with that, you know, against that. And and I think you got to kind of roll with it. You are. I'm starting to think I'm, I'm noticing the time and I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I, you are a musician as well as a brewer. And I love that your bio on the new realm website, uh, boasts your 50,000 plus song music collection, uh, <laughs> as well as pointing out that you are a guitar rocking band member, uh, on there. So I'm imagining that you wrote this bio yourself. So I, I'm, I'm curious as to, the relationship between beer and music as you see it. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I really haven't been playing much and I'm a hobby guitarist. I, I make no, no pretension. I'm sorry. This says clearly in black and white that you are a guitar rocking band member himself. So yeah, when that was, written, you know, I have to believe everything I read on the internet. All right. It's yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love to play guitar. I, I absolutely love it. I don't claim to be good, uh, but it is one of my, you know, passions outside of beer. And I've always thought, you know, something about craft beer and, and, and music, live music always seemed to really click for me. I remember, you know, way back in the day, I went to a Grateful Dead concert, right? And I'm out in the parking lot with everybody else. And there were people walking around with coolers of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and Anchor Steam Beer. And I was like, you know what? That's really cool. That's really great. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's just, you know, 
music is one of the finer things in life and craft beer is one of the finer things in life. And I, I just think, um, you know, I've had a lot of really fun music experience uh, playing music with other brewers. And, and that's been great fun, you know, just kind of getting together and, and talking about something other than beer and, and something that we all had a passion for. And, you know, we had a band at Stone um, uh, that was made up of, uh, you know, everybody in the band worked at Stone. And it was, it was crazy fun because everybody was coming in with different musical tastes and we played everything. I mean, we were all over the place and it was just fun, you know? And then of course, if you're playing music and you can drink a couple of your own beers while doing it, that's a pretty nice thing. <laughs> so, so, so new realm was the Yoko that took you out of the band and broke up the, uh, <laughs> broke up the band. Is that, well, I think COVID is the Yoko. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, you know, I just moved to Atlanta, uh, in August of 2019 full time. And I was in the process of trying to get to know people that were musicians and play music with, with people and and then COVID hit and that all just went out out the window. So I, I think once we get past this this disease and, and people getting sick, I will I will definitely uh, revisit that and try to get back in, into playing music with other people. There's a vaccine in the works. Um, yeah. The the news today is that uh, we could we could start seeing a vaccine next week, which is when this episode is going to, to air. Um, when the world, if the world can get back to normal and we can get on airplanes again and go to far-flung places or just down the street, is there a beer bar? Is there some place that you've been missing that uh, you're really looking forward to getting back to and settling into? Well, I, uh, I think, you know, I spent 14 years in California. I'd, I'd love to be able to go back to California and visit all my old haunts. Um, I want to get back to London. That's that's really high on my list. I absolutely love London, England, and and pub culture and everything about it. Um, you know, I'd love to take. I haven't been to Germany since I left Stone, and I'd love to you know get to Munich. and And I've never really explored Munich um, as much as I I should have. And that you know, so I've got I've got these several bucket list kind of things going on, but. Um, you know, I would say um, for me, you know, Denver, California, London, England are probably at the top of my list of places I, I need to get to as soon as this is all over. Have Have you enjoyed being grounded? Um, I, I and I mean this in in a in a in a, in a in a complimentary and a curious way, but um, you were one of those guys who were traveling all the time, whether or not commuting from San Diego to Atlanta and, and back. Um, but then also when you were at Stone, you were opening up Virginia and Berlin and you had a hand in Shanghai too, didn't you? Or, um, uh, what, what, why am I blanking on the China brewery? Was it? Um, no, I didn't. I did. I, that happened after I left. Okay. Um, but you were bouncing all over the place and also speaking at conferences and going to international festivals to judge beer and everything. Have you enjoyed being home and grounded these last couple of months? Yeah. There's part of me that's really enjoyed being home. I, I told my wife, Kathleen, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, I think we've, as a family, we've grown closer because I'm home you know, our, our kids are not in college away from the house. We've, we've hunkered down at home and, and, you know, trying to make a 
the best of a really tough situation, that aspect of it, I have enjoyed, you know, I've enjoyed being able to go home every night and sleep in my own bed and have dinner at my own dinner table and not have to eat out, you know, and um, eating out is great. And that's probably the biggest thing that, that my family and I miss, you know, with this whole thing is, um, you know, just sitting in a restaurant and, and getting great food and great drinks. But, you know, that, that aspect of it, I, I have enjoyed, I've, I've enjoyed spending more time with my family and, and hanging out in my new house and, you know, really getting to kind of know the neighborhood and, and the house and, you know, that's, you know, silver lining, you know? Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, what's a beer in the tanks or what's a beer that you're planning on that, uh, when we can all travel again, that we should belly up to your bar and drink? Oh my gosh. Um, well, um, we've got, uh, oh boy, let me, let me think about this. So we, we've got a lot of beers in the works. That's why I'm struggling to, you, you know, we're, we're coming out with our latest barrel aged beers right now, um, over the next couple of months. So we're starting to pull all those out of wood. We've got, uh, um, Doomsday Hound, which is our Imperial Stout that we put into brand new uh, Templeton rye barrels that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, we've got a Belgian triple that we put um, into uh, uh, gin barrels that I'm really excited about. And, you know, it's it's those kind of things. Um, you know, as far as our, our regular offerings, we're, we're gearing up to... Uh, uh, do um, Radagast IPA, which is our triple IPA that we okay. do once a year. That's that's one of my favorite beers that we do. So, you know, it's um, and you know, the regular Doomsday Hound Imperial Stout is coming out right after Christmas. So uh, that's a that's a great beer. I'm, I'm really happy with that beer. I feel like triple IPAs and Imperial Stouts is exactly what George is going to need right after Christmas and in, in early January. So, uh, I hope you're right. yeah, good, good planning on your part with the Senate run off um mitch thanks for doing this i appreciate it uh good, yeah thank you john it's always always fun to talk to you that's mitch Steele of new realm brewing their lager united by the way scored the number two spot on this year's wine enthusiast magazine top 25 beers of the year you can check out that list at winemag.com and before we go, a bit of housekeeping. Make sure to head over to Facebook and join the This Week in Roush Beer group. There's always something smoky going on. And if beer audio is your thing, make sure you listen to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch for deep dive conversations with interesting brewery owners and more. And also head over to BeerEdge.com for articles and to sign up for our newsletter. Every Monday, look for new episodes of Steal This Beer, and once a month, on the 15th, download the BYO Nano podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe to this show and to leave a review. You can always reach me via email at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. You know it, Nate Schweber, he does the music. He's got a new album out that's called Gaps, and you can find that on nateschweber.bandcamp.com. Download it today. Support your local musicians. Support your local arts. Jeff Quinn, speaking of artists, he designed our logo. As promised, Justin Clark of Cigar City Brewing is back with me on the phone right now. Cigar City Brewing is this episode's sponsor, and we have our thanks to them for that. Um, Justin, we've been talking about fancy papers, and I'm curious about the inspiration for the name of this hazy IPA. Yeah, certainly. It is a nod to to the past when Tampa was the cigar rolling capital of the world. The fancy papers were 
the embossed labels that manufacturers would use on their cigar boxes and the rings uh, to identify the brands of the cigars. So we thought it would just be a nice uh, little nod to the past when Tampa was the cigar rolling capital of the world. And so we named Fancy Papers to help tell that little story every time somebody is is drinking one of our hazy IPAs. I like it. That's on brand for you guys. We, we can't talk about an IPA without mentioning the hops. So what's in this? Yeah, this is Strata, Sabro, Idaho 7. Um, all of those are used in kettle and dry hop. Nice. And the stats on this beer? It is 6.5% ABV, 60 IBUs, and 18 original gravity. Awesome. That's Justin Clark of Cigar City Brewing, which is this episode's sponsor. To learn more about Fancy Papers and all of the other Cigar City beers, go visit CigarCityBrewing.com. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer. Thanks for listening.